Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Today it is Tuesday, August the 6th, 2019. So last night I was watching one of the news networks when the mayor of El Paso was offering um, part of their briefing last evening to the press in answer to a question from a reporter about whether or not there was a playbook and whether or not they were following it as they were dealing with the aftermath of a mass shooting at Walmart this weekend. Um, The mayor gave, uh, I hope, the quote that we will all turn to today if we are asked about, hey, what did you think about what the mayor of El Paso had to say yesterday? He said, I only know of one handbook for dealing with evil, and that's the Bible. All right, so let that sink in for just a moment. Um, You know, that it was intended to be a gotcha question. Are you following the playbook for uh, how to deal with a mass shooting in your community? And he said, I only know of one playbook when we're talking about evil. And that playbook is the Bible, uh, or that handbook is the Bible. Um, he could not have been more right. Evil is real. Demonic forces are are real. Um, I've had a couple of people communicate with me asking, will you talk about demon possession in relationship to what is going on in the world today and what we see in these young men who are doing these dastardly deeds? And so I'm going to talk about it here for a couple of minutes. Matthew chapter 8 Verses 28 to 31, Jesus uh, came to the other side, along with his disciples, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men, depending which version of this you're reading. this You may have a one Gadarene demoniac. In this case, the uh, this is a story about two Gadarene demoniacs, so probably a different story than, uh, than the one where we're dealing with the man in chains. So he's coming out of the tombs, so fierce no one could pass that way. The demons cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? There was a herd of pigs feeding at a distance from them. The demons begged Jesus, saying, uh, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. So I'm going to pause, first of all, for all of our farmers out there. We are going to talk about uh, uh, the uh, announcement from China that they are going to suspend ag imports. And so I'm going to talk about that with T- Tommy Binion here in just a minute. So I'm, I'm, my, my mind is on pigs and pig farmers today. Uh, but this passage is uh, about demons. And I think we have to pause. The demons cried out. The demons knew exactly who Jesus was. They referred to him as the Son of God. They knew exactly what they were destined for, which was uh, torment forever. They also seemed to know that this is before the time which means they have read the prophecies of God, even if we have not. They seem to know the book. Um, So I want to just remind us, Jesus uh, confronts demons. Jesus confronted demons in his uh, earthly life. Jesus continues to confront demons today. And so we have to recognize demons are real. Demons are real. It's not as if demons cease to exist when Jesus overcame the powers of sin and death on the cross. Uh, demons still exist. It, it's not as if they went away. 
And so demons still possess people. This is important for us to recognize. Demons know exactly who Jesus truly is. Notice that. The demons recognize that Jesus is the Son of God. They recognize his divinity, even if everybody else around uh, them does not recognize Jesus and his divinity. They recognize Jesus' authority over them. They know that he has the power to torment them forever. They also know he has the power to cast them out. They recognize his authority over them. They know that they're already defeated. They know there's a time coming when they're going to be thrown into the lake of the fire. And they seem to also know that now is not yet that time. They are not all-knowing. They may be intelligent beings, but they're not all-knowing. They know the Bible. They know history. They know what God has revealed about the future. They seem to have read the book and will use it against us, even if we have not. But do not make the mistake of thinking that they are all-knowing or omniscient. They are not. They are also not all-powerful. Only God is all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing, all in all. I do think it's important for us to recognize that demons are personal in the sense that they have uh, this personhood. This They fulfill the threefold definition of personhood in the expression of the will and the emotion and the intellect, but they are not people. They can possess people, as they are doing in this uh, in this episode that we are reading about today in Matthew chapter 8. They are more than just a spiritual force. They are real. They are not people, but they are, they have some personhood. So um, I I guess I'll just wrap it up this way because I got to get to Tommy Binion. Um, They are in willful rebellion against God. They continue in willful rebellion against God today. Um, And so we need to be suited up and armored up to deal with them. So Ephesians chapter 6 is going to be the place to which I'm going to point. Hey, next up, Tommy Binion. He and I are going to talk about China and a bunch of other things. All right. We'll be right back. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's a long, long journey to the Joining us is Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal. You can check it out at thedailysignal.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at TP Binion. Tommy, hey, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you for having me back. Good to be with you. Good morning. So um, I'm going to flip flip the script that you and I were uh, planning to talk about today, and I'm going to move China to the top of the list because uh, overnight we learned that they intend to suspend all U.S. ag imports. And I don't know if this is a threat or a promise, but they, um, uh, you know, they they basically say that there is going to be chaos in economic and financial markets. I, I don't know if that's a threat or if that's a prediction, but um, bring us up to speed on what you know. Well, yeah. So I, I, I this is um, surprising, I'll say, uh, but not not necessarily um, their move to um, suspend ag imports. Rather, um, that things have escalated so quickly this week. Starting at the end of last week, the president announced uh, he would um, initiate an additional 10% tariff on an additional 300 billion dollars worth of goods that we are importing. From China, that's a fairly big tax um, that he would initiate. Uh, that, that that would happen on September the first. That announcement came as trade talks were resuming with the Chinese, so that was surprising. Um, and of course, now we have this back and forth retaliation that has escalated from there. Um, the United States labeled China a currency manipulator, um, which is, uh, by the way, I, I think accurate, but. 
um, it is a sort of uh, an economic joust, if you will, against the Chinese. It has uh, global ramifications. Other nations are, are looking at that designation. Um, and then, of course, this move by the Chinese to um, suspend ag imports is an economically devastating to um, a really important industry in this country. So all of this is happening in rapid succession. And then um, I, I, the markets hate it. I, I don't know any other way to say that other than uh, we took a big hit in the markets yesterday because of all of this news. Uh, and we will see how they react again today. But, um, you know, this is, a, this is an escalating trade war, and it's going to have economic consequences. So, Tommy, you and I are talking uh, right now with folks across the um, breadbasket of America. We are talking to a lot of people whose um, products are sold in China um, because they uh, they raise pigs, they raise beef, they raise soybeans, they raise corn, um, and they make the implements that um, that then. So there's a there's a there's an entire, uh, you know, ag is not just the animals or the food products that are at the end of that line, you know, like, right? Like ag is the implements that make those and the seeds and the, I mean, just, it, it's, it's, such a, it's such a huge part of not only the U.S. economy, but the personal family economies of the people with whom you and I are talking right now. Um, and so when we talk about it, it being devastating to the U.S. financial markets, that's, you know, there, you couldn't be more accurate. But I think that when we talk about the, the stress and anxiety of our listeners right now, we are, we are literally talking about where do they take those hogs? Like if those hogs aren't going to China, where are they going? Um, so are there other options? I mean, I, I, just, I just don't really know. Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, no matter what, there, they, there may be other options, other places, other countries um, that we can um, sell our agricultural products. Too, but no matter what, you're talking about diminished demand, because if mm. the Chinese aren't taking the product, demand is going down, because that mm-hmm. is a huge portion of the demand, depending on which product you're talking about. When demand goes down uh, and, the, and the supply is what it is, and, and that is the case in, in, in agriculture, it sort of is what it is. It is the yield that we're going to get this year. Uh, the price is going to go down. Uh, yeah, I mean, the answer to your question is there are other places um, to sell agricultural products to, but if global demand goes down, then the price goes down. Um, and if if this announcement from China sticks or has any staying power or lasts uh, throughout the rest of the summer and the fall, um, the hit to the prices will stay. And and uh, you know you, you you can't sugarcoat that. That's a problem. Um, uh, by the way, that's why the Chinese picked this. Uh, mm-hmm. They're hitting. That's right. They're hurt. Yeah. Um, they are. They are intending to cause economic chaos. It isn't some unintended consequence. That is the intent of this move. Um, this is. Uh, this is the danger of a trade war. Now, uh, you know there is. There are two theories of the case on the president's trade policies. Either this type of temporary pain is going to lead to an economic gain in the form of an economic trade deal with China, or it's going to lead to, uh, I think, permanent pain. Uh, And, you know, it's really a question of whether or not you think the president is increasing his leverage 
uh, or you think that he is poking them in the eye. Um, and it's, uh, we're not going to know. We can't predict how they're going to react to it. We're just going to find out as it unfolds in real time. Um, and you talked about stress and anxiety. Uh, so many good things are happening in the economy. So many good things are happening in the economy. We are booming. But this trade issue, the tariffs have held us back. We could be doing better. And there's this, uh, there's this sort of Damocles hanging over all of it. And, uh, and it's concerning. All right. When we come back, uh, we are going to talk about the really, really positive numbers related to unemployment um, and the relative health of the economy. And then I want to, like, throw immigration and immigration conversation into that mix. So that's the conversation up next with Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal. Returning to our conversation with Tommy Binion from The Daily Signal, uh, he and I are talking this morning uh, what I will just call Econ 101. For those of us who haven't been necessarily paying attention to economics, this is not guns and butter today. This is like pigs and soybeans. Um, but we're going to talk here about the relative health of the U.S. economy because recent unemployment numbers are pretty pretty amazing and continue to be pretty amazing. Tommy, um, talk with us about the positive numbers and then also, like, throw the immigration conversation into that mix because I am, um, I am interested in what I am reading about how much better we could be doing if we were actually welcoming more immigrants into the U.S. economy. Right. So, um, okay. First, yeah, the economy is hot. It is. It is. Uh, it is going very, very well, and it has been uh, for a little more than two years now. Um, uh, actually, you know, the, the, the trend has, uh, has, has quickened. It's gotten even better. Um, unemployment has been at historic lows. That new job numbers last Friday um, that, that kept unemployment right where it was. It's low for everybody. It's low for all of the subgroups of people that are, are measured um, by the Department of Labor. Unemployment is, is very low. Um, economic, or I'm sorry, wages are growing. They're growing uh, month after month. Uh, that's not even when the economy is good in this country. It isn't always the case that we have wage growth. Um, and in this particular boom, we have had solid wage growth. So um, individuals are experiencing more money. Uh, the wage growth outpaces inflation, which means purchasing power um, is going up. This is all very, very good. In the first quarter of 2019, the economy grew at 3%, which is considered great. The second quarter went back down to 2.1%, um, which is not considered great, but the average for the year is still very good. Um, the economy is, is, is going very well. Two things. Last week, um, the Fed announced um, an interest rate drop of a quarter percentage. Um, that is very interesting because in good economic times, you wouldn't see that. Uh, that is something that the Fed does to try and spur the economy on when they are starting to see signs of growth. But I think the analysis is basically that the Fed wanted to keep the economy hot. And so it was able to do that by dropping that interest rate a quarter of a percent. So that was interesting. And then, Carmen, you asked me to talk about how immigration fits in all of this. Um, and it's true. Uh, you know, so just think about this to, to understand the relationship between immigration and economic growth. Just think if we doubled the size of the country overnight, if we if we had 330 million immigrants come in. Well, the economy would 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 
would explode, right? The, the, the size of the economy would be much bigger. But probably on a per capita basis, it would be slightly smaller because we grew by virtue of growing the size of the population. Um, so you're always going to get economic growth um, as, a relate, as it relates to immigration. Um, but uh, it, 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 you know, there, there are complicated nuances to it. One thing that I think is true, we have the most generous immigration system in the world. We let in 1.1 million immigrants per year. Um, and I think what everybody on both sides of the aisle agree on is that we should select those immigrants in the national interest. We should consider what it is that our nation needs um, and then um, allow those people to come in. That's what's going to lead to the most economic growth. If we can identify what the economy needs uh, in terms of workers, in terms of immigrants, in terms of labor, in terms of skills, um, then we can maximize the economic growth that comes from immigration. Um, we don't have that now. We have a, a system that's currently um, majority family-based immigration, so you get to come in based on the fact that you have a relative that's already here. If we switch that to merit-based immigration and we say you get to come in because you have skills that will grow our economy, now we're talking about really maximizing the economic growth that can come from immigration. Um, that's what's up for debate is exactly what is the national interest when it comes to immigration and how do we identify it. The current system is not at all geared towards this, and that's a problem. So I think that's, a, you know, Tommy, that's helpful. It's helpful for people to understand that we we do um, allow 1.1 million immigrants um, to come into the United States of America legally every year. The conversation that we're often having is a conversation about um, those who are entering the country illegally or who are already present here um, in ways that uh, bypassed that system. And then they're here generationally. And then what do we do? Like there's a great challenge there. And then I think when we're, when we're having the conversation about merit and what does the economy need – I think people have to remember that um, the, the economy needs – we need farm workers and we need construction workers and we need people who are willing to do things, frankly, that many, many uh, Americans are either not willing to do or, or frankly, the job market is so good um, that people are choosing to do things other than those jobs. And so those jobs are going unfilled, um, certainly in communities uh, like mine. So, Tommy Binion, thank you so much for that perspective this morning. We always appreciate talking with you. I'm sorry we did not get today to the conversation about my alma mater, the University of Florida, uh, and free speech, but we'll have to return to that on another occasion. Well, thanks, Carmen. Have a great show. Thanks. Thanks so much. He's at thedailysignal.com. We'll be right back. Do you have a good friend? Do you have a good Christian friend? What is the nature of Christian friendship? What makes Christian friendship distinctive? Why do we need friends? I mean, why can't we just go it alone? Might surprise you, may not surprise you. Uh, college students today, even college students who grew up in Christian homes, don't necessarily know um, what's distinctive about Christian friendship nor how to cultivate one. Maybe you're saying to yourself, gosh, I could really use a course in that. Well, there actually is a course in that. Friendship in the Christian Life is a course being offered this fall at Boyce College. Um, and, and we're going to have um, Professor uh, Brian Bays here next. We're going to talk about why 
we need a college course in Christian friendship at a Christian college. And we're going to talk about, um, uh, well, the nature of friendship and what we can learn as these college students are learning together. So that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So Faith Radio, which you are listening to right now, is a part of something called Northwest Media. And Northwest Media is a ministry of the University of Northwestern at St. Paul. And something really exciting yesterday happened um, in Northwestern Media, and that was that Northwestern Media purchased New Life Media. And that means that um, the opportunity for us to influence people living all across the state of Illinois just like wildly expanded or will wildly expand. So um, I just wanted to celebrate that with you today. If you are a ministry partner with us, if you are a donor to Faith Radio, you're a part of um, what God is doing through Northwestern Media. And um, it's just, uh, it's exciting. So I'm going to just pray in advance for all that God intends to do in extending the gospel to more and more people to impact their lives, to mobilize Christians in those regions to affect their neighbors, all that good stuff that we do here each and every day. That is our why. We get out of bed to advance the gospel. And so uh, thank you for helping us do that here each and every day. You can visit us at MyFaithRadio.com for more information. We'll be right back. Growing up, I loved watching the Jetsons on Saturday mornings. I wished I had a time machine so I could travel into the future and see how people were living and what cool gadgets they'd invented. Hi, this is Callie Breeze with Thrivent, helping you be wise and thrive. Unfortunately, time travel isn't really possible yet. But when you plan for the future, it is a little like time travel. Maybe you're putting money away to buy a house or send your kids to college. And hopefully, you're giving money to a ministry to help them make a difference in someone else's life. We don't know what the future holds, but I can assure you God is in control. And you honor him when you're a good steward of your finances. You can make financial decisions today that will help you be prepared for the future. To help you go confidently, knowing you're financially prepared for the unexpected and planning for the next steps. Then, then your future will be full of contentment, confidence, and generosity. Brian Bays is here, uh, and he is a professor at Boyce College in Louisville, Kentucky. He's also a really fun follow on Twitter. Brian, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much, Carmen. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks again uh, for having me. So if people follow you on Twitter, at Brian Bays, and it's Brian with a Y, not an I, um, they are going to learn that yesterday was Gus's birthday. And (laughs) And Gus is your dog. Yes. Yeah, he is a a two-year-old boxer. Yesterday was his second birthday. Um, It's the second boxer we've had, and he is, he's a joy, man. He is just full of life. Um, We are officially, not officially, we are a boxer family through and through. You learn with this particular breed. Uh, We're we're a huge dog family. I grew up with dogs. My My wife grew up with dogs, and so we we always kind of knew that when we got married, that was that was going to be kind of part of the rhythm and and kind of function of our home. Um, that with boxers, not one of us ever had boxers growing up. Um, I grew up on a farm, so we had kind of farm dogs and such. Um, but 
you kind of realize you get like 12 years, you know, if the, if the dog survives 12 years, you get 11 and a half of puppy and about six months of dog. Um, <laughs> and so they are, he has uh, a very mischievous little face. And so yeah. I, I like yeah. him already. So this yeah. was going to be my segue into our real conversation. Sure. Um, although Gus is precious, uh-huh. um, he, he cannot be man's best friend. Yeah, yeah. I think in a sort of Christian theological sense, he he cannot be. It's a wonderful thought, and it's a wonderful thing. And I think when we lay with our dogs or when we hang out with our dogs, when we play with them, what have you, or we see our kids get crazy with them, we want to sort of attach the same kind of familial or the same kind of, um, uh, to use the sort of, uh, to use the classical term, the kind of phileo, the brotherly love that we feel. Um, But in the classical Christian and even non-Christian tradition, that, that can't be that can't be possible in the strictest sense, um, because there's no sense of uh, mutuality. There's no sense of uh, common well-wishing between the two of us. Um, I can wish well for my dog, but um, my dog can't wish well for me in the same kind of sense. Um, so, yeah, right. you're right. And he's he's completely 100 percent utterly dependent upon you. He is creature exactly. in yeah. Exactly. So, so you, um, you and Tyler Flat are planning on this course this fall called Friendship and the Christian Life. I want to start yeah. with this question: Why do we need a course on friendship and the yeah. Christian life at a yeah. Christian college? Yeah. Well, I think one answer to that is I wanted to teach a class with my best friend, and there's no way, there's no better way to do that <laughs> than, than for me just to say, "Let's talk about friendship." Um, uh, but more seriously, I think. Uh, this is um, a uh, I, whole maybe too strong of a word, but I think this is a weakness, particularly within evangelicalism, uh, to talk about the nature of friendship. Look, I mean, friendship shapes our entire life from beginning to end uh, in ways that um, I don't think we sort of stop to think about very often, um, whether it's students here at a Christian college or whether it's your regular listeners across the country, wherever it is. Um, they're going to learn and experience many kinds of human relationships, whether it's between husbands and wives, parents and children, teachers and students, uh, being an employer, being an employee, um, even people who are writers and readers have a conversation and some kind of form of relationship between the two. Um, uh, But one thing that uh, we don't talk about a lot is friends and friendship um, to a kind of careful, sustained, uh, patient reflection on what it means to be a friend. Um, Not everyone will be married, right? Not everyone will have children. Not everyone will have some form of employee-employee relationship necessarily, but we'll all have friends and we'll all have friendships that we have to uh, think about, you know, we're all not going to run a business or write a book, but we will all have friends. And I think it's really important, especially at the age that these students are, for them to stop to think about what God has to say about friendship, what the Christian tradition has uh, for us to both retrieve, strengthen, uh, and, and use in our day-to-day, everyday relationships. Uh, but also, I think it it is in many ways. I'm a philosopher, and so part of kind of what I want to do is is I'm always trying to think about it. I'm a Christian philosopher at that, and I'm, so I'm, all, I'm always trying to think about how the faith can be um, uh, talked about in, in sort of new and unique ways. And I think uh, the Christian tradition has a, a wonderful uh, voice to say about what, what it means to be a friend. 
Um, so. so I would, yeah. So first of all, um, if folks want to know more, you guys can check it out at the Boys College website, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And and so that's really cool. Um, I want to, I think that a lot of us don't even think about like the nature of friendship. And so when we, if we were going to think, if I were going to just go survey sort of folks out in the community today, um, and mm-hmm. I said, what do you know about friends? The, people in my age group would answer with, um, with the television series, which, you know, yeah, definitely right. shaped and formed like right, my, my young adult sure. life. Um, other, other people would, um, you know, depending on how old they are, they're going to tell a story about an individual. If I ask them to point, you know, to, well, what do you think about Christian friendship? You know, maybe they are going to try to think about what kind of friend Jesus was, um, to other people. Like, I I don't even know. I don't, I don't even know when we use the term Christian friendship, where people would point for, um, for a definition or evidence. So you're, you are, one of the things that you're doing is you're comparing classical, uh, accounts of the nature of friendship with contemporary accounts of the nature of friendship. And I just think that even helping people think in those categories is really helpful. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that that I think is really important, uh, not just in this, but in anything, is to try to um, try to set your feet on on solid ground, if we want to use the biblical sort of imagery here, um, of, of trying to see where and how not just the Christian tradition, but the classical tradition on friendship can be uh, used, can be, uh, can be um, appropriated to try to help people see uh, the goodness and the truth that has been given to us, even by men and women who don't call on the name of the Lord as their Savior. And to be able to say that all truth is God's truth, and we want to be able to say what is true and what is good, and to hold on to what is true and to hold on to what is good. And I think part of part of my friendship with Tyler has been uh, both of us are philosopher, or I'm sorry, I'm a philosopher. He's a classics professor, so he does humanities and great books. And so we have overlapping interests and desires, but we also have an overarching kind of desire that I think all of us here at Boys College want, which is we're trying to help these students as best we can um, dig a well that they can draw from for the rest of their life. And uh, and and that that idea of slowly but carefully digging this well that they can draw sustenance and water and hope from, uh, I think part of that digging, part of that work is understanding friendship, understanding what friendships are, understanding what it means to be a friend. How do you have, what is the nature of friendship when authority is thrown into the question? Can, can you be a friend with your boss in the same sort of way as you can be a friend with your coworker? Um, can you, you know, how do you deal with opposite sex relationships and friendships? You know, when you're married, does that dynamic change? All those kinds of questions are things we're going to really explore and discuss in the class, because I think all of those are uh, extremely relevant questions. They're perennial questions. And I think when you when you retrieve or when you pull from the classical Christian and even parts of the non-Christian tradition uh, that are true and good and worth, worth retrieving and receiving, um, you can start to sort of build a structure and a scaffolding and kind of some of the contours of what it means to be a friend. Uh, and I think All right, that's, and so, that's crucial. And so because um, Dr. Brian Bays, uh, we are not enrolled in the class, we are going to let you briefly answer those questions when we come back from the break. Can men and women be friends? Can I be friends with my boss? Uh, all of those good conversations up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All 
right, so uh, my comeback music for this segment might have been What a Friend We Have in Jesus. It might have also been uh, a song that I listened to a lot when I was, like, in middle school. Friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. Um, we have Circle of Friends from uh, Point of Grace. How do you think about friendship? And when you think about friendship, who comes to mind? And so I've been thinking uh, just during the break about friends over the course of my life who've really shaped me. And I should probably, you know, like give a shout out to Lori Tepper, who was my real friend in elementary school. Um, and and as we progress forward through life, how those friendships really shape and form who we are, our identity, how we interact with the world, how we process uh, the information that comes to us, how we're held accountable, you know, all of those things. And so uh, we're talking today about distinctly Christian friendship and what that looks like in terms of a classical definition uh, versus the nature of friendship that we expect in the world today. And so Dr. Brian Bays is here with me from Boys College because he and his best friend are going to be teaching a course on Christian friendship here in the coming weeks. And so we thought it would be fun to begin to till the soil uh, here on the show together. So, um, Brian, let's uh, let's approach it this way. Let's just run through those questions. Like, how does friendship, uh, you know, like a real one-on-one friendship with another Christian, how does that, how is that distinctive from a friendship that I might have with a person in authority over me or with a person um, over, over whom I am in authority? Yeah, that's a, that's a fun question. I think, um, I don't know if there's a simple or quick answer to that. I think, I think part of it is understanding um, if we're talking about uh, someone who's in authority over you or, or, or someone who has some kind of position above you and beyond you, I think, um, I don't think it's. I, I certainly think that kind of friendship is possible, and I think it can even be really rich um, uh, and and encouraging. Um, I think part of it has to be an awareness on both ends of of kind of precisely what uh, what their role and function is, but also how it uh, h- how it, it how it engages and interacts with with others, but also how it engages and interacts um, with just just between the two of them. So between a boss and, and an employee or um, a president of a school versus the the professors who are underneath them, whatever it may right. be. So um, my listeners I, are very familiar. My, my listeners are very familiar with Dr. Moeller. We talk about, I mean, we, we steal stuff from the briefing all the time. Um, yeah. And so your my guess is your relationship with Tyler Flatt, with whom you are teaching this course, who is a colleague, huh. is yeah. different. Even if you're friends with Dr. Moeller, that relationship is different then it's going to be with Tyler Flat. Is that fair to say? Yes. yes, absolutely. It is. And I do think that the authority dynamic is one of the reasons as to why that's the case, for sure. Um, I think it's important to realize that um, that within Christian context and within Christian theological commitments, I think there is an awareness, even of those who are in leadership, that they are leading to serve. I certainly think, you know, Dr. Mueller has that mentality um, mm-hmm. every day. In the way in which he both leads this institution and the briefing and et cetera, um, and so I think that that dynamic, particularly among Christians, I think allows for allows for friendship among authority figures in maybe a different, unique, fresh um, way that that might look different outside of a, a Christian context. So, um, so Brian, you um, you're married. I want to yep. have the question. I want to have the conversation about um, does my spouse have to be my best friend? Can my spouse be my best friend? Um, and how does that affect the fact that I'm married? How does that affect every other friendship that I have? Yeah, man, that is, uh, yeah, that's a fun one. Um, when my wife and I got married, we, um, 
actually when we were engaged, we, uh, we had conversations about this. And even when we got married young, we were in college when we got married. And so we saw firsthand kind of the, the dynamic shift. Uh, where we had friends who were busy, friends who were still single, friends who were still dating, friends who were engaged, but we were married and we had to work and go to class. And so um, the way in which those friendships played themselves out looked fundamentally different after I do than before I do. Um, And so I think uh, one of the things that you begin to notice, my wife is my best friend, I think. Um, I don't think I know she is my best friend. Uh, She's the closest thing that I have uh, in this life. She's, I call her my grace in the flesh. She is, um, she's everything to me. Um, But I think the kind of way that uh, Christians understand the nature of friendship, I I do think a spouse is is both a spouse, but but a friend. Uh, Because there is uh, a sense of mutuality, a system, a sense of wanting the best for that other person, regardless of what that does or does not do to you. Um, that you want their happiness and their flourishing more than you want anything else in this world. Uh, and I think that at at the core of that, that really is what friendship is. It's wanting, uh, you know, Aristotle talks about this. Thomas Aquinas picks up the same sort of idea. Um, uh, uh, Augustine talks about this as well, that you want the good for the person regardless of of what return you may get out of it. Uh, Lewis, okay, picks so, up, Lewis picks up on this in The Four Loves as well. So now um, I'm going to ask a, a, a question that has now come over our text line and over, um, over email, and that is the confusion in the culture um, related to same-sex relationships and how um, how we seem to have this just rampant confusion about deep friendships versus um, homosexual relationships. So help us draw that line really clearly in our culture today. Yeah. Um, So one of the things that I think, uh, I think one of the reasons why um, those whom, whom struggle in battle with same-sex attraction, I think often feel a draw towards um, uh, groups or, or societies or, or, or individuals where they, um, where there's a kind of solidarity or unity around that is, is because there's a, there's a feeling of friendship there that they have not probably quite frankly felt within the church, um, uh, uh, and felt within their context. So, uh, they feel drawn to that and they feel drawn to this sense of, of community and solidarity. Um, uh, I, those who struggle and battle with things like like same-sex attraction, I think, um, I, I don't see the dynamics of what the classical Christian tradition related to friendship is. I don't see that being necessarily a problem for them so much as it is helping them, helping them, and helping those of us who don't battle with it help help ourselves to see that that the Christian tradition related to friendship is is for everyone. It's mm-hmm. it's not for those who don't struggle with same-sex attraction, and there's somehow different categories for those that do. Um, uh, Jesus invites us all into him and into union with him, and I think part of that is understanding uh, friendship and understanding the difference between desire, sexual desire, and love and affection. Lewis talks about this again in The Four Loves. It's one of the better modern treatments, I think, on friendship, and he, uh, this is a paraphrase, but he, he essentially sort of says, those who um, conceive of friendship as a substantial love, but in doing so, confuse eros, just like desire, with phileo or eros with friendship. 
uh, reveal the fact that they've never really had a friend. Um, and, uh, and I think that that is in some ways indicative, not fully or completely indicative of some of the, uh, some of the conversations around same-sex friendships, same-sex attraction, same-sex relationships, where uh, there's a confusion between eros, a desire, and between friendship, and uh, not being able to carefully kind of tease and discuss that out, I think is part and parcel, but but not completely. I don't want to uh, generalize or or right. sort of make make blanket statements that are that are completely unfair. So it's really com- – I mean I think that this is a complex subject matter. If my text line and my email are any indication of people's level of interest in this subject matter, man, people have a lot of questions about this. They want to know more. I hope you will come back um, so that we can talk uh, further about this. Um, people are having uh, – you know, they want to know like, hey, I'm 60 and I'm single. How do, what, what should my Christian friendships look like? like it's, so, it's on and on and on. I mean the list is really long. So um, will yeah. you come back and we can talk about this again? Absolutely. Okay, great. Because I, I really want to till more of this soil, but we're completely out of time um, today. So we're going to pray for you and um, and for Tyler Flat as you guys embark on this journey teaching these college students uh, this upcoming se- semester about Christian friendship. And we look forward to having you back. That's Dr. Brian Bays from Boyce College. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, let's give a little shout out to friendship and to friends today. Let me encourage you to reach out to one of your old friends, one of those people who formed and shaped you as a Christian and tell them thanks. So here's a little shout out to Robert Morris, to Tiana, to Lori, to Didi, to Jessica, to Marnie. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.